Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Voices in DevOps, where I'm here. I'm delighted to be here, I should say, to speak to uh, Avi Kaval. Uh, is it Kaval? Kaval? Uh, you, can, you, you can tell me that. Um, I don't think I've ever had, actually had to pronounce your surname before, so, so you can tell me that. But uh, it's already a digression. Um, but uh, the reason I'm delighted to speak to, to, to Avi, to you, Avi, is because we met at reInvent. Uh, we had that situation where we needed to find a quiet place to, to to meet and i'm sure like a lot of people do at these big conferences we ended up sitting around the back uh, leaning against a pillar and it was such a great conversation i just thought you know i wish i was recording it right now so um uh, i it, i'm not saying that we're going to end up just saying the same stuff but uh, um maybe just to to intro uh, you you could start by saying a little bit about yourself i, I know your head of pipelines that uh, um uh, JFrog now, uh, but your whole shippable experience and 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 what brought you to here, really, that'd be really great. Oh, thank you very much, John. Uh, it's Cavale. Uh, Cavale, there you go. I was right the first time. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was. I I really had a lot of fun uh, having that conversation at reInvent, and uh, it's it's rarely uh, kind of like. We were having an, an exchange of ideas more than a conversation there. So it was, it was a lot of fun for me. So just to kind of give you where uh, the whole thing started. Uh, I mean, I grew up back in India. Uh, I came from a mechanical engineering background. That was what my big passion was, machines and factories. And that's what I was super interested in. And... Uh, what happened is uh, back in 93 or 94, I think, uh, I saw a computer for the first time and I saw the Microsoft logo boot up and I was kind of fascinated by that machinery and I kind of said, okay, I want to work for the company. And so I came to US, did my master's uh, in information technology. So switched from mechanical engineering into more of computer science kind of a background. Uh, recruited by Microsoft uh, onto this mystery product uh, back in 99, and uh, that ended up being Xbox. Uh, then I worked on Office 365, Azure, and Kinect. So those were kind of like my 11 years at Microsoft. Wow. And uh, I mean, I was one of those lucky people where I really didn't work on the traditional Microsoft products. It was all edge products. Uh, people didn't even know whether these would work or not. So we had the opportunity to experiment with a lot of things and uh, we could change the process. I mean, nothing was baked. I mean, it was kind of like a pseudo startup inside Microsoft. Though I would call that startup back then, I cringe these days because I know what actually a startup is. And uh, <laughs> so I, I think, seem to remember, I mean, um, was this just apocryphal, but uh, didn't uh, Xbox start in, in, in kind of the canteen where someone said, hey, Steve, uh, it was Steve Ballmer at the time. I've got this great idea, and he was like, "Right, convince me." Is that? Am I making uh, I that think, up? Yeah, I think I think it was actually Bill. Uh, so how was it, Bill? It's, uh, Sorry, yeah, Bill. It was back in yeah, it was 90, 97, 98 kind of time frame. It was this interesting thing. Like we have all these computers, and and uh, we are not using it in gaming industry, and and we kind of that was the genesis of a few folks, a few very very smart folks to kind of foresee that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it was interesting times because we had never 
manufactured hardware. Uh, we never sold directly to consumers. Uh, they, we didn't understand what inventory was. So there was a lot of things. I mean, for us, inventory was just a number of like CDs or whatever discs that we were manufacturing at that time. Uh-huh. And that's about it. And so I think the company went through a lot of transition and uh, we started seeing that when you're, when you're dealing with consumers, uh, it's a very different ball game. And uh, we suddenly had to update these consoles. So a lot of things, I mean, before, I mean, yes, there was Windows update and those kind of things, but it was not where we had an actual hardware device that we were focused on. And it was Microsoft hardware device, which was very different. A new division got started. Uh, we were worried about uh, supply chain. We were worried about a lot of things which we weren't worried about before. Mm. So my mechanical engineering really helped because I had done a lot of this stuff from a bill of material, how things get manufactured and all of that stuff. What a, what so a what curious saw, twist of fate. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, my journey kind of went through that. Uh, Kinect was where a lot of farming years for shippable happened. And uh, one, I mean, I remember one key thing was when we shipped Connect back in 2010, uh, we then went through this whole process of, hey, we had invested 18, 20 months of R&D engineering, all of that stuff in this, uh, how did we do? And when I went and measured what we had done in my organization, I realized that we had only used 55% of our organization effectively. Like the other 45% was spent on kind of ancillary things that did not really translate to features. And that's when I thought, oh my God, I'm in trouble. And, uh, but when I did talk to my boss at that time, he kind of looked at it and said, this is fantastic. A lot of people are doing 42, 43%. Oh boy. And I realized that something is missing. I mean, why are we spending so much time and then I realized that what was happening is a bunch of time was spent in either testing, deploying, redeploying, uh, final deployments, all of this packaging, all of this stuff that was happening, which we call these days as DevOps. And that's where a lot of effort was being spent. Uh, even though it didn't seem like effort, nobody really had a checkbox to go and do this. It was where time was being spent. And uh, so that's when... I kind of saw it like I'd also, I mean, there were two things that was happening. I kind of left, was thinking that Microsoft had been here for too long. Uh, there's a lot of things happening outside of Microsoft. I want to go try it. So decided to interview for a bunch of jobs. Uh, I realized that nobody really cared about what skills I had because the world outside Microsoft was very different. And Microsoft was very different than what it is today. And I realized I have to be part of open source. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, just up, just before before you move on, uh, hold that thought. Ended up at the 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 whole notion of this fifty five forty five percent thing. Um, I'm sure we'll come back to, but essentially, it's one of those things that once you've thought it, it's almost impossible to unthink it. Uh, as, as someone once said to me, it can't be unthunk. You you forever. It, it's kind of a buzzing in your head. Right, it's forty five percent waste, forty five percent waste, etc. And uh, the number of organisations I speak to now that they they want to innovate, and they as soon as they realize how much time they're spending not innovating, uh, it, it, it's like a lump in the stomach until until they can kind of dispense with that stuff and uh, actually use that time. Yeah, and, and it's also yeah. I mean, as you boil this up, right? I mean, I mean, when you start looking at budgeting and stuff like that, and, and you kind of say, okay, here is X million dollars, and you suddenly realize that 
45% of those X million dollars are just going to be spent on the kind of vaporware kind of a thing, mm. right? I mean, and that's where you really start seeing it. If it's, it's at a micro level, you don't see it much. But when you kind of look at an organization, 1,000, 2,000 engineers, and you kind of put it all together, you start realizing, I mean, it's not like people are not doing anything. It's, it's just that they're doing things that could have been automated and be more efficient about it. And that's, that's basically what it is. Keeps, uh, I, I keep uh, hearing the voice in, in, in my head of uh, um, CTO at uh, Love Holidays, uh, uh, Jesse, uh, who said, uh, uh, I don't want Love Holidays to be the famous for being having the best network engineers in the world. Uh, and the same applies for DevOps, uh, you know, pipeline engineering, and, and, and so on. It's that's that's exactly. not that's not what any company that's not a pipeline company wants to be known for. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean, so what I did is, I mean, I kind of it was in my head. Uh, it was not like, hey, let me go do a company around this. And then I just uh, I decided to quit Microsoft. I worked on Cloud Foundry as a contributor to one of the open source initiatives internally. Uh, it was all brand new to me. And uh, I moved to Romania to keep my costs down because I wasn't making any money. I was just learning for a year. Uh, so I got completely embedded into this whole open source concept. And then what I realized was that there was a completely different process that they were following. And that's where I saw... Uh, I mean, we kind of did build engineering at Microsoft, but it was not like CI and continuous integration. It was more not more like a process through which CI was a critical piece. And that's how open source guys did it, because people most of the times don't even know who the other person who you're working with is. And they have these systems that allow them to kind of merge code. And I saw Git for the very first time when I was mm -hmm. doing that. So what I realized was, hey, these guys are all using these things. Why don't we just apply this back to <clears throat> enterprises and see whether we could help? Because I know the enterprise space quite well. And then I kind of said, I mean, there were two things that happened. One was that angle. The second thing is what fascinated me when I was at Cloud Foundry was that we were using these things called DEA or a droplet execution agent. Uh, it's kind of like a fancy word to what we all kind of know today as containers. So it was kind of like a Linux jail that in which things ran. And uh -huh. because of this, you could run many applications on a single VM. And, and that's kind of was what Cloud Foundry was kind of doing. And so what I realized was what if, and they were trying to build the production system for it. And I thought like if we could use this concept in development, the whole notion of deploying test environments can be simplified and massively, like you can speed up the process completely with this. And that was the genesis of Shippable for us. Mm -hmm. So I kind of looked at those two things and said, if we kind of put it all together, you can actually create a platform that allows you to do this. Uh, pipelines was not what we were thinking about. We were just thinking about containers that are a fast way to deploy test infrastructure, and if you kind of put a CI system in front and use the CI system itself is built on the containers, which we call today as cloud native. So then we have a platform which we could do and, uh, and it could massively reduce cost and time for organizations. And that's the basis. I kind of came back to US and I reached out to a person I knew at Microsoft who used to work with me on Office 365. Her name is Manisha. And uh, so I kind of, said, okay, try to convince her to quit Microsoft and join and do this. And 
she finally did that and 2013 is where we started oh. Super Bowl. I just feel so jealous, <laughs> if I may. I've worked for, I mean, until uh, working for smaller companies, but I, I spent all of my technical years working for big corporations and I never, ever had the courage to just quit and set up and then convince someone else to join and that sort of stuff it's um i mean i it was i mean as i did the startup i mean there were a few people who really i mean it, it was a bunch of lucky things that happened uh, one was tech stars and uh, i mean the director of tech stars in seattle andy sack and he used to always say like you got to be a salesperson to do a startup it doesn't matter how good you are a technical person and, and I said, like, what do you mean? I said, the first thing is you have to sell it to yourself that this is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you have to sell it to somebody else to join you as a co-founder. And eventually you sell it to investors. Eventually you sell it to employees. Eventually you say, I mean, people think when you say you're a sales guy, they immediately think customers. But it's just a massive sales role that you're doing. I mean, people call it convincing yourself, but it's actually you're selling it to yourself that this is really a smart thing to do. That's. I mean, it, it, it. I guess it took me many years to to realize that everything's about. It, it's. It's not necessarily a. It, it's a bit like writing a book. Writing a book, you don't have to be a salesperson to write a book, but you do have to know how to write a good book proposal. So ultimately, that's that's the pitch. And if you can't write the pitch, then how are you going to write the book that encapsulates the pitch? And it's the it's the same in in so many so many areas that you know. There's an essential element which is about understanding that someone else is going to have to buy this, otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I think a series of things happened. I mean, they were all I call it lucky breaks, and one was getting into tech stars. The other one was uh, while we were doing this whole tech stars thing, we were also thinking about Y Combinator, and uh, I bumped into Solomon there, Solomon Hikes, who actually was the founder of uh, Docker. And, and he kind of looked at what we were doing and were lucky to kind of realize that our focus was not the container, our focus was the process. And, and so what we realized is instead of struggling, and what we did was we took out this DEA and we tried to do it ourselves. And a lot of effort was being spent on things that is not very critical to what our business was. And this is another key aspect of DevOps, right? A lot of times people end up spending a lot of resources building these platforms, which are not core to their business. And and this is one thing that I usually see a lot of people. And then you kind of get into the situation where you've invested X and now you have to invest X more. And then it just becomes this big thing, which is, it's not critical to your organization. Uh, it's not critical. It, it's critical to your innovation, but it's not that you have to build it. The whole build versus buy is a big thing. So we got lucky. So we were kind of building this container and then we looked at this Docker, even though it was super, super nascent at that point. We said, hey, this is a company that's only focused on this and we'll just use their stuff. And, and so we ended up ripping out all the stuff we had done with DEA we put it together with Docker and the first version of Shippable was launched and uh, I think it was October 1st week of 2013. You've, you've just time. reminded, you, you've just reminded me of uh, one of, one of the uh, uh, conversation threads that we had at reInvent, which is the, the, the alternate realities of all, all the versions of Shippable in all these different alternate realities that didn't do that or that made slightly different decisions along the way or didn't recruit your old colleague from Microsoft uh, or whatever. And, uh, and never, 
all those competitors you never saw because they just weren't as successful as you. They just didn't have that series of lucky things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, after, I mean, at this point, I look back and I kind of, I thought those were all deliberate at that point, but I just feel like these were all just breaks that, and sometimes people always ask me is like, hey, can you tell me how you actually went about creating a company? And, and I usually tell them like, I can tell you everything that I did. I can give you every single secret, but it was, it's my journey. And just because you do the same things that I did, doesn't mean the same results are gonna occur. And, and so there is really no magic sauce. It's, it's, it's just, you have to do your journey. I mean, you can learn from a bunch of this stuff, but it's, it's still ultimately a journey that you have to lead. And there's no guarantee that even if I do it again, I would end up with the same result. So. I mean, I'll, I'll add a caveat uh, uh, following our conversation, uh, having thought about it in, in um, uh, subsequently, uh, which is that it's the old adage about you know the harder I work, the the luckier I get. Um, I, I think I think you've you've been very successful, and success is uh, as we know one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration, as well as having those lucky breaks uh, and meeting the right people and and right place, right time, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I used I, to. I, the, the way I say it is, it's kind of the world is conspiring to make me successful. I mean, that's kind of what I was. Very saying. nice. Yeah, very nice. So shippable. So, yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so what ended up happening is we kind of built this. We had this platform. Uh, we, our whole focus was, look, CI is is just a step in this process. I mean, what is really important is the entire life cycle of what needs to happen after bits are being blessed by either a development organization or a CI system. So what our plan was at that point of time, we got the technology working. Uh, what we realized is like we need massive stuff in terms of orchestration and to manage all these containers. And that was the technical challenge that we were having at that point. I mean, you have to remember that there's no Kubernetes, there's no Docker Swarm, there's nothing at this point, this is 2014. Uh -huh. And so, of course, we started building our own orchestration system because we just needed it. And uh, so the as we were doing this, what we also realized was uh, CI is just one box of like what people kind of now know as pipelines, which is like a series of steps or boxes that are connected together uh, to create a workflow. And it's kind of like an orchestration for your development process itself. And uh, we were kind of building an orchestration for the containers, which was under that system. And uh, so what happened is two things happened. One is uh, there were a lot of people at this point very interested in containers. So we started getting connected to a lot of very big organizations. We were lucky to get connected with Joe Beta and Brandon Burns and Craig McClucky and all those guys who were at Google at that point. And they were doing Kubernetes. And, and I remember my conversation with Brandon. It was uh, one of the events uh, in Denver. Uh, and then he kind of said, hey, you want to kind of use Kubernetes as an orchestration. And uh, I kind of said, okay, now this was the second decision we made which we said, okay, dump our, first was a container, second one was dump our orchestration, use Kubernetes. And again, this was 0.1 version of Kubernetes at that time. And nice. then, so we started getting this very rich base platform, which was a cloud native stuff. And then we were, from a innovation perspective, we started moving into 
kind of like saying, okay, here is the CI step. After this, you need to do some packaging. Then you have to probably do some security scan and stress test. So we started building this pipeline and we started building tools that allow you to author and configure these pipelines programmatically. I mean, most of the people who are doing this at that time either used UI tools or they built it themselves. So we started building these platforms, which was completely YAML-based, driven towards pipelines. And, and so that was the second thing that happened from an innovation perspective where we started leading the market in terms of what everybody else was doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody who were doing CI and and then we were kind of saying CI is commodity, pipelines is where the world needs to be. And then from then on, we had a product that was significantly different from what everybody else was doing. It was super lightweight because it used containers. And, and then we started enriching all the different operating systems, Windows support, all this stuff started coming in. And that's kind of where we got to a point where we had this pipeline system and we started realizing that, hey, this is a piece of the puzzle. What really needs to happen is an overall end-to-end system that manages this DevOps process. That all starts from, we, our, our pitch was code to prod in a pipeline. I mean, that's what we, you need to build pipelines to go from code to prod and our production. And, and what we realized is we also need a platform that does all of that stuff. You can't rely on external stuff. And we were lucky now, there was a third lucky break that we had was, <laughs> so there was JFrog who owned the packages or the destination where the process put stuff in. And we were having the process. And it was just this process plus package was the platform. And so, I kind of wrote a blog at that point, sent it to Shlomi and said, look, I think the world is going to go this direction. It's We need to kind of collaborate a lot more tightly. We're complementary. So we should do some biz dev kind of activities so that we can do some joint go to market. Uh-huh. And then of course, uh, Shlomi was, I didn't know this at that time. They were internally raising a big series D round. And uh, he kind of said, look, forget about all this. Uh, biz dev and everything, why don't we just merge? And mm-hmm. he used the word merge, which was very interesting. He didn't say, I want to acquire you. So he kind of used the word, we should merge. Mm-hmm. Even though we were sig- insignificant in comparison to what JFrog was in terms of valuation, in terms of customers, all that stuff. It's a good attitude, so, isn't it? It's- yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, that was what inspired me. And, and I kind of said, we started working very closely. This was like October 2018. And then four months down the lane, we announced the acquisition. And uh, we, within five months after that, 2019, June, we announced at Swampup the unified platform with pipelines as part of it. And we are seeing like significant uh, interest as well as traction in terms of, it's, it's amazing like every single customer that we go and talk to. I mean, when I talk to customers, these are large, large customers, I mean, banks and insurance companies, car companies, all kinds of stuff like this. Uh They're looking at the combination of all of this stuff. Uh, It's still early days. I mean, nobody has really implemented the perfect system in these organizations. Uh, It's still more of a Bay Area kind of a thought process yet. It's not Uh yet hit the world where everybody is using this. It's not like an ERP system, which everybody has so. let, 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 let's come back to that um but first let me because you're saying 
throughout the whole process that uh, and then we realized and then this and then i mean you you were shipping products all the way so presumably customer feedback or just seeing what the world needed out there uh, was also guiding your your hand uh so, in terms of what I you mean, were building it was, it was a it was a very tough problem right because customers were telling us what they want today and it was a very fine balance between what they want today versus what they need tomorrow so that was the best thing that happened between my co-founder and i she was very realistic in terms of okay i'm going to only look at six months out and i was kind of looking like a year to three years out so -hmm. there was this conflict that we had always as part of founders on a company which is a very good conflict to have and so i had to really make my case on why we should be building something that people might need three years out and and she had to really make the case on why this uh what do you call um inbound request and they have some things i mean like like for example windows was something that we did because a customer came and drove us to say you need to give me a platform that does both windows and linux mm-hmm. whereas pipelines was something that nobody was asking for and and so there was this of course we were building product uh, we were constantly shipping and this is one of the unique things that we had which was very very useful is that we needed our own product to speed up the process and so we ran our own engineering organization just like how we would think our customers should be setting up their devops workflow and it gave us both uh, the feature requirements that were needed because we needed it ourselves and second it also gave folks uh, who are potential customers a template to kind of say look this is not vaporware this is something that we've been doing for the last 3 4 years and this is how we do it and then that instilled a lot of competition i mean confidence for them to kind of say okay we want to kind of extend this kind of inside of our organization mm-hmm. so um and then the the organizations that i mean there, there's a kind of segway moment i don't know if we're quite there but i'll i'll set it up anyway and you can you can you can tell me that uh, you you said about uh, it's kind of more of a bay area philosophy and uh, pipelines end to end from a devops perspective isn't necessarily where enterprises are at now so there's a there's another bet that's going on in that which is that they're moving they're maturing moving evolving towards that need even though they're not necessarily uh with it yet is is that fair yeah i mean i think i think they're actually forced to i feel uh what is happening is like cloud has reduced the barrier for entry for a lot of small companies small agile companies who can actually create massive uh platforms which only enterprises could do in the past and uh, enterprises used physical infrastructure data centers all this kind of stuff as a barrier for entry and once that's gone what ends up happening is now it's just about hey am i do i have like three four engineers who are motivated to build the next paypal kind of a thing right uh, so what is happening is there's too much happening outside of the enterprises and enterprises with their traditional thought thinking cannot sustain to compete with this kind of agile and nimble uh, organizations that are being formed 
So what ends up happening is I used to use this word innovate or die, uh, or the state phrase innovate or die. Uh-huh. And that's what's happening. And part of the innovation has been not just, hey, let me go build the next cool feature. Because trust me, every feature that you build will get mutated and copied over and recreated in every single platform within the next three months. After the, Let's assume I create this magical feature on my platform. Every single competitor will copy that within three to four months. Uh-huh. And so you can't just say, I'm going to do one thing and sit on it, right? I mean, you got to, this is something that you got to do as a process. So not just, hey, I have an application that I need to get to production. Your innovation process itself needs to start getting more agile and more uh, efficient. And so, so what is happening is there's a massive change that's forcing organizations to think in this direction. And anywhere where you can reduce friction, or as Shlomi says, JFrog world, like making software liquid. So you need to somehow get things to flow. And, and, and that's where organizations are moving towards. And uh, if I'm a brand new company, I don't have a lot of baggage. I can create all of this from scratch. It's green field for me. So I can compete very, very efficiently with large organizations, which have a lot of barriers internally. So, so bear with me as I work through a thought process here, because um, the we, we've we've got exactly what you're saying, which is that uh, that there's a new way. There's a new way. Um, I'm, I'm I'm going to interrupt myself. Uh, innovation, as you say, can we be the next PayPal if we're if we're a big uh, finance uh, company, uh, you know, big big bank or something? Um, how do we do that? It, it is one part of it and it means it means so much more speed it means so much more uh customer centricity uh and actually delivering um in a very very different way to to what was done in the past but then what's happening as well is is you're saying that uh, even uh though even cloud native organizations are still getting used to the notion of pipeline and process and efficiency and automation etc uh, as they build up and then they evolve and mature so the, the bit that i wanted you to bear with me on is is it not also true that enterprises have um they're actually pretty good at process maybe they're too good at process in that they're bureaucratic but the you know they, they've always had methodology teams they've always had uh um uh, policy managers and uh, um, uh, process and efficiency initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. So the concept of a process is not new to the enterprise, but maybe the concept of this type of process is new, and that's what needs to be got across. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I agree with you, enterprises are heavily process-centric. They measure a lot of things. Uh, I don't think it's the process that's the problem. Uh, it's what you're doing with the process that's that's the problem. Like most enterprises, I mean, I'm going to try and, I mean, manufacturing is my kind of uh, comfort level. So I'm going to use manufacturing terms here. So most enterprises think from parts per million defects, which is like, how do I, I want to measure how many bad things are happening. I mean, that's kind of the attitude, right? Most of the agile new wave companies are not thinking from parts per million defects. They are looking for mean time to recovery, which is a completely different mindset. So I'm not interested in how many times I'm making mistakes. Uh, what I'm very interested in is how long does it take for me to recover from the mistake I did? 
So this is in terms of like, if you kind of translate that to software, uh, do you count bugs? Like we had, I mean, at Microsoft, there was this infamous thing that we used to say, we need to have a zero bug release. I mean, that's a dumb thing to say because you never know whether you're zero bug free or not. What you should be really looking for is if I discover a priority one or a severity zero bug, how long does it take for me to patch that and get it going? And, and that's a much different way of thinking about it because you're not really creating. And so when you talk about zero bugs, what ends up happening is everybody will create a barrier for them to ship. Because I, if this passes me and a bug was found in production, the first finger pointing happens is to the test organization and say, hey, why the hell did you guys launch something that had a bug in production? Now, assuming the test finds a zero bug in the system, then it goes to dev and say, why are you guys shipping bugs? So, and then this whole notion of everybody needs to be everything. There's this general, general purpose engineer who does tests, who does everything. I think that's kind of like a mythical thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So what I really think is, let's forget about how many are we finding in what stages. Let's look at how quickly can we fix them. And, and, and that's where, because it gets very expensive, right? I mean, if you found, find a bug in dev, it's much easier to, or much cheaper to fix than you find a bug in production. It's this whole shift left concept that's happening, which is good. But I think organizations from a leadership perspective need to think from, I'm not gonna penalize folks for having issues. What I'm gonna really try and do is to optimize my mean time to recover. And that's where the shift needs to happen. So in your experience, how, uh, I mean, you're, you're working with a lot, a lot of enterprise companies, etc. Actually, I've got two questions uh, and I'm going to ask them both at once because now I've started, so I'll finish. So the first question uh, is, is based on that, which is uh, if the if the move needs to be from that kind of uh, metric mindset uh, around failure rate and minimizing failure rate and so on and so forth, which is kind of how do we avoid is like the old, old school security thinking, which is, you know, risk avoidance uh, and, and moving to, to you know, the speed of resolution, which is like risk management, risk mitigation. So yeah, if it's a big risk, we want to just deal with it quickly, etc. Um, so when you're looking at enterprises, when you're working with enterprises, um, what, what are the key things that can enable that shift to happen? So that's the first question, uh, which I, I'm happy to repeat again in a minute if you like. And, and the second question is, uh, where does uh, the notion of a pipeline fit into that? Um, so it's part of the part of the same question, I guess. And also, so where does so? I, are you always preaching to the converted? Do people already have to get it before you can uh, work with them, or? Uh, is it your stuff that enables them to get it in, in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, to answer the question, I mean, there's no real silver bullet that kind of can solve this problem, right? No it's, magic sauce, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and what it is, is the first thing is what people need to kind of accept is this is a continuous process. Uh, so it's, it's continuous integration, continuous delivery, whatever continuous people want to use. Uh, I just call it continuous improvement. And, and this is like basically everything across the system. You're never done. 
So me coming and saying, hey, I have a platform that will get you DevOps enabled. I'm absolutely wrong if I say that. What actually I have a platform is, is for you to be able to find where your bottleneck is so that you can go fix it. And then once you fix it, I will find the next bottleneck in the system. So, so the way I really think about this is what you need is you need to pick a platform that can grow along with you and make sure that it addresses what you need today as well as there might be a bunch of things in the platform which you might not use at all. So making that decision saying, hey, there are these five other things that I don't want to use. I don't even think about using it. So I don't need this platform is the first mistake because what you will end up doing is fragmenting. Your organization is going to evolve and you will end up fragmenting your solution. So you want to kind of buy or something like you can kind of, I mean, this is the classic place where it's a slippery slope where somebody comes and says, uh, look, I can, I need a CI system. And then somebody will come and say, oh, I can do all of this in a batch script. And I can put it all together. And uh, why do I need to pay whatever, $100,000 or $25,000 to buy this platform? I don't need this. So what ends up happening is now you have a organic home built stuff that you have done. You have to maintain it. And then the next need comes in and then you look at it and says, oh, this current organic system doesn't do it. And then you suddenly realize that you need this other piece that you need to build. And eventually you're starting to build this platform yourself, which you could have just gone and bought it. And you would have saved a ton of time and money in order to get there. And so that's mm -hmm. the first thing people need to really think about. Don't plan for what you need today. Think about how your organization will look like and then try and find tools or platforms that will get to at least 80% of that vision of where you have today, even though you don't want to implement it. And then what you want to do is you want to kind of go, I, I always look at it, the best question to ask is a simple question, which is how long does it take for a single line of code change that I make to make it into my customer's hand and measure that entire thing? And then you kind of look at it and let's say it's a month and then you come back and look and I, I bet there is one or two things in that life cycle, which is accounting for the majority of time for that code to make it into the customer's hand. Now let's start focusing on reducing that. So I call the long pole kind of optimization. So you constantly find these things that take the most time, then you optimize it. And it could be as, as simple as a security scan, right? I mean, a lot of times people say, we don't want to, I'm okay to have bugs, but what I don't want is to be embarrassed publicly where somebody hacked into my system. Now that security scan might take six days, five days. So what do we do in order to, and because it takes five days, what ends up happening is people will say, let's make the security scan happen in the last thing as one thing that happens, as opposed to making that continuous. So what you really need to do is to take that long pole and try to shift left as quickly as possible. And then whatever tools you need in order to get there. And, and so that's kind of how you kind of reduce this one big bang security scan that happens uh, into more of like micro scans that might be happening on a developer's machine itself. So because I, I, I've never yet met a developer who says, you know what, I wanna actually ship code which has flaws. I mean, there's no developer who says that. It's just that they don't have the tooling. Um, if they try to do it, then they will come back and say, look, it's taking me too much time because I am waiting for the system to give me feedback. So if you optimize that, then people are much more open to using it on their laptop. 
Uh, and that's kind of the genesis of how you start building DevOps. Now, in terms of how pipelines affected is you need to make this systemic uh, in, or systematic, right? I mean, you can't make it tribal. So what you really need is like, like for example, at, at our engineer organization, every developer gets a complete build of the entire platform with their one single change, which they can deploy, test completely in isolation. So think about it, right? I mean, it's it's like seven different products all getting packaged, compiled, just because I changed one line somewhere. And I can deploy a version that is mine, which has not yet been merged into the central trunk or master or however people want to use source control for. So that's a very powerful concept because I can actually test it end to end. And you might not, it might be an overkill for everything, but the developers have the capability to do that because the pipeline systems are built in such a way that I can actually, if I have 400 developers, they could be having 400 environments running in parallel, and I can look at 400 different versions of the product and test it. So that's kind of where we are really trying to get to. Now, you might not want all 400, but I can bet that you at least want 20 or 30 of those all merged mm-hmm. together at some stage, all running in parallel. And that's what we're really trying to get to. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a nice vision, uh, and I'm wondering if uh, that sounded patronizing, didn't it? <laughs> that was not my intent. That is a nice vision, and that is where we should be looking for organisations to get to. Um, and I'm wondering whether the actual story of Shippable and, and the kind of process he went through is almost allegorical in terms of the, the stages. Um, not necessarily the same stages, but just that kind of where you hit a number of points where you realize there was stuff you didn't need to do. Uh, and one of those points, uh, um, I think for, for the enterprise organization, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try and map it back onto Shippable directly, but I think from an enterprise perspective, this thing that we talked about, about not the 45% ultimately, it's the role of CI uh, as a kind of nucleus of of importance right at the beginning and just starting to deal with that wastage uh, because of manual activity around engineering of the platform around um, ancillary work that isn't directly leading to innovation that that would be a good place to start that that's I'll, yeah. I'll throw that on the table and and you can you can build from there yeah I mean I think I think just saying you need to be doing ci is is kind of a little bit high level from my perspective because you could be doing CI on a central branch uh, which happens once. I mean, it, it's kind of like, how long does it take for your code as a developer? Let's say I've created a branch, I've started working on it. How long does it take for my branch to get merged? And CI being done at that level is not enough. You have to absolutely do it. That's a good start. But I think CI happening at each individual developer level before even a merge occurs is super, super critical. Now, a lot of times people will come back and say that's infrastructure, it's too much cost and all of that stuff. And that's what you got to go figure out how to make that thing happen. So it's it's definitely a nucleus, but it needs to be happening at the furthest point on the left hand side of your process, which is like a developer makes a change, he, sh- he or she should be able to get a CI response back without having to wait for, okay, I'm going to wait for three weeks, get my feature done, merge it, and that's when the CI process actually kicks in. 
that's, that's one that, that's really interesting i mean that's um i've, I've been uh, well i'm right i'm working on a ci report at the moment and i've so i've been spending a lot of time kind of reading up but also talking to people etc etc and uh two two things came out of that one is we've been talking about ci for an awfully long time but so many organizations still find it fundamentally hard uh, and are still um on the starting blocks ultimately of some of the things we're talking about here and and the second thing is the the kind of role of ci uh in ultimately it's about getting developers to take responsibility for the fact that stuff's got to build so and doing that as early as possible so if you are getting it to work as left as far left as you can uh, with individual developers it's almost it's only by getting individual developer builds to work that you then can start to get consolidated builds to work and then so it's about getting the leaves to work before the sticks before the branches before the trunk if you like exactly yeah exactly very interesting and i interrupted you you were going to say something else no no no. i mean that's 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 the perfect analogy for how oh, well there you go there you go <laughs> well let's stick with that i, I mean I, I think that that's uh i mean that to me kind of wraps wraps around uh everything that we've talked about here and it's absolutely fascinating to hear both the the way that the journey of uh, shippable is kind of evolved as part of an overall evolution of both uh, the, the landscape you talk about uh, Kubernetes, you talk about Docker uh, and all the different pieces that you decided not to build. And then also the evolution of, of the enterprise and, and how this uh, thing is moving to, you know, from a need to have, from a nice to have to a, to a need to have. So would, would there be any last thoughts maybe that, um, uh, apart from use us, it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> would there be any, uh, uh, just uh, if you were speaking to the kinds of organizations that are, that are struggling right now with, with anything we've talked about today, um, what would you advise them? Where, where would you kind of say, look, if you get one thing right, it would be this? So I think, I think the most important thing I feel personally is you got to know what is your bottleneck. So all your effort, before you even think about anything, how, I mean, how to solve it is the less of a problem. I mean, there's various different ways and various different tools and platforms. And of course you can use us, but what is the thing that you want to actually solve and having that clarity is super important. And, and that is where I feel a lot of people stumble. They just pick random points and say, let's go do this because that's the flashy thing to do. I think it's every organization is unique. Every organization is different. Uh, in the way they do software. And so understanding that this is what is causing me bottlenecks and then how do you guys help in this particular area is a much more constructive thing as like saying, look, I want to implement DevOps in my organization. I mean, I think changing that attitude is, is super important. Well, that, that's excellent because that actually starts with a problem to be solved rather than just some airy-fairy uh, solution uh, out of the ether with unicorns and everything else. So uh, that, that's, that sounds like a, a great place to start. Well, um, with that, thank you so much, Avi, for, for joining me and um, uh, and running through a lot of the topics that we talked about at, at reInvent and, and some more besides. Uh, I found that really, really informative, really useful to help my thinking. I hope everyone out there has, uh, has found that useful as well. As usual, um, any feedback that anyone has, uh, please get it to us via Twitter or in the usual ways. And uh, just makes me to say thank you so much, Avi, and I look forward to uh, catching up with you again. Thank you, John. Thanks for the opportunity. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the Enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.